Hello and welcome back to I'm Not the Book Expert, but she is. I am one of your co-hosts, Rachel. And I'm the other co-host, Maggie. It hasn't changed. It still hasn't changed. But today we are embarking on our second duology, and this time Maggie is our book expert. Yes, today we are talking about, well, the next two episodes, we're going to be doing the Villains Duology by V.E. Schwab, who also goes by Victoria Schwab in some of her books. And so we are talking about the first book in that duology, which is Vicious. And I'm very excited because this is my third time reading Vicious. Um, The first time I read it was probably 2016, 2017-ish. And I was very happy to introduce Rachel to it for the first time this last week or so. And boy, oh boy, do we have feelings. Yep. And it was very interesting because I haven't haven't read Vicious since, I don't know, the last time I read it was probably 2018 or 2019, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were a lot of things that I just straight up forgot. And it was very interesting to read that again as like an actual adult and not a college student anymore. I feel that. Yeah. But yes, there are so, so many feelings. Uh, but before we get into those feelings, Maggie, do you want me to read the the recap that you so lovingly wrote for us? Of course. So, Vicious by V.E. Schwab. And yet another example of why college students, or college boys specifically, should not be left unsupervised, Vicious follows a pair of ex-roommates turned arch nemeses. Eli Cardell and Victor Vale start off their senior thesis by exploring the possibility of ordinary people developing extraordinary abilities. But things take a turn for the worse when they decide to test out their theories on themselves. Ten years later, Victor breaks out of prison, bent on revenge against Eli for putting him in there in the first place. Joined by another ex-con with a shriek of bad luck, a young girl with a mysterious power, and a very good dog, Victor's plan starts falling into place. But will he live long enough to see vengeance served? Dun-dun-dun. Ah. Yes. (laughs) So, Vicious is... I have books that I love and then I have sort of my hall of fame books that are just books that I love more dearly than anything else I've ever read. Vicious Mm -hmm. is one of those books for me. Um, You have the, you have the bookshelf. I, I, that's right. I do have the bookshelf. I bought, I had to buy another bookshelf because my one large bookshelf was um, full (laughs) and I had to buy another smaller bookshelf to put somewhere else but I didn't know how to reorganize the books and Rachel made the suggestion of why don't you put all of like your favorite authors on this shelf over here so that's what I did and V.E. Schwab is one of those she shares a bookshelf I think is it with Marie Lou yes it is she shares a shelf with Marie Lou so Yes, indeed. Which actually, Marie Lou, we're going to be talking about is our next duology, but that's a future yeah. conversation. Um, yeah, actually, and I guess I'll move us right along, I guess. Yeah, you're guiding <laughs> the conversation today. I am guiding the conversation. I'm not used to being in charge. Um, I also wanted, so um, I was actually introduced to Vicious by my friend from 
college, Charmaine, I invited her to be a part of today's podcast episode. She is in a different time zone where she is 13 hours ahead and it didn't quite work out with our schedules, but I was like, hey, I noticed that you're rereading Vicious right now anyway. Do you want to be a part of our podcast? And she had, like, she took time out of her day to send me an hour of her just talking about the book. (laughs) So I will probably intersperse some clips of what she said where it's relevant to the conversation and everything. And she does really great book content on the internet. And Mm -hmm. so I will... I will put links to her social media in the description as well if you would like to give her a follow. My name is Charmaine and I have known Maggie since we well lived on the same floor freshman year. Our rooms were on different ends of the same hall wing, I guess. We yeah, we saw each other a lot. We had the same friend group. We bonded over a mutual love of the Legend series and the what is it called? Lunar Chronicles series. And that's how we became friends. We were roommates our sophomore year. We again lived on the same floor our junior year. And then I lived off campus senior year. But we have bonded over a lot of things both reading and writing wise. I like to call myself the resident V.E. Schwab stan, not because I've read all of her books. I haven't. I've only, I think, read five out of her 18 books. But I have followed V. Schwab for a very long time, I think since 2013 or 14. And so I'm familiar with a lot of her work and I keep up with her a lot through social media. She is my favorite author and I'm very excited for her new book to be coming out in March. I am so excited for Gallant to be coming out. So I guess that is probably why Maggie asked me to come onto this podcast. I'm not actually sure why. I think it's partly because I love this duology so much and she knew that I could talk about it for a really long time. So thank you for inviting me to be part of this podcast and indulging me with my incessant ramblings. So yeah, I guess we'll get started talking about the book. Uh, Since we kind of talked about this in messages, but we talked about plot driven versus character driven books. Oh yes, Um, that's right. And we talked about this one being a very character driven book yes so before we talk about the kind of relationship dynamics that we want to go into and kind of unfold the plot can we just list off the characters real fast so of course understanding of who we're looking at yeah so our sort of main character protagonist is victor vale um i use the terms protagonist and antagonist kind of loosely here we tend to think of those in terms of the protagonist is the good guy and the antagonist is the bad guy right um that's really not how you should take it the protagonist is the person who sort of moves the story forward Mm -hmm. the antagonist is the person who is anti the protagonist they're trying to stop the protagonist i'm gesturing with my hands go ahead rachel because i'm an english teacher i just have to put that out this out there but the antagonist doesn't always have to be another character true but that's all please continue maggie sorry i I should let you be explaining (laughs) this because you're the one who's actually a teacher i'm just pulling this stuff out of thin air well do you do you want me to add to that of course you can uh, so within the protagonist, again, as Maggie said, that's the character that's really driving the story. That's usually the person that you are most closely looking at and usually the one that we have the most discussions about because they're the main character. 
the antagonist doesn't always have to be a character. And again, they the protagonist and antagonist antagonists do not have to fall into the good guy, bad guy categories. You can have a quote unquote good guy be the antagonist if our protagonist is the quote unquote bad guy. Right. I have so many feelings. Within that, you have different character types that you can go into, like round versus flat, dynamic versus static. But for the most part, a lot of these characters are going to be the round characters where they display more than one trait, and they are going to be the dynamic ones which change over the course of the story. Right. Yeah. So, again, protagonist and antagonist, we don't mean good guys and bad guys, because as Mitch says later in the book, um, there are no good men in this game. (laughs) Which is one of my favorite quotes. Which is one of Rachel's favorite quotes. So we have Victor Vale, the protagonist. He's sort of the, he's kind of the character that we follow throughout the book. Um, And then we have Eli Cardale, or as we know him later, Eli Ever. He is the antagonist and I hate him, but that's a different conversation. (laughs) That's a conversation Um, for later. That's a conversation for later. Victor is joined by Mitch Turner, um, who is sort of our computer hacker um and just general normal person of the group (laughs) yeah I think he's the only non-extraordinary main character yes I was trying to think like except for maybe the cops but that's later yeah I totally forgot to put the cops characters awesome sorry if you just heard my phone buzz I forgot to put it on silent how dare you? How dare I? I also forgot to put the cops on this list, but I also don't really care for them. So like, whatever. Well, um, we'll get into why we don't particularly like the cops in a little bit, but yes, keep going I, with the characters. C- consider this the teaser trailer for the rest of the podcast. Yes. Yes. So we have Mitch, Victor and Mitch are also joined by Sydney, who is almost 13, and she has a very mysterious power, which we will talk about. Um, Sydney has an older sister named Serena, who is also an extraordinary person. Um, And she kind of teams up with Eli a little bit, which makes for an interesting dynamic there. We also have Dole, who is the best boy. He is a very good dog. He's and the goodest dog. He he is the goodest dog. He's also giant. Like he's also huge. Irish wolfhound is what I imagined in my head. Mm-hmm. Yes, he he is he's the best boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really a main character, but a very important character is Angie. Um, mm-hmm. she is in college she was Eli's boy or Eli's boyfriend yep she was Eli's girlfriend she and Eli were in a relationship and she is also friends with Victor she refers to Eli and Victor as her boys which gives me some kind of feeling I don't know what it is it gives me um Rory and the doctor vibes um yes (laughs) come along boys (laughs) We are not her boy. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> I was going to make a different analogy, but you would not have gotten it, which is fine. That's that is a very good analogy. I got you. You got. So yeah, those are our main characters. We also I'm trying to remember the names of the detectives. One of them is Stell, 
S-T-E-L-L. Yeah, he's the big, he's the big one, or the 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 important one. The he's the actual detective. Yes, he is the actual detective, and he's assisted by somebody else. He would just be a beat cop, but yeah. I can't remember who he is. It's like Dane or Dale or something like that. I think it's Dane. I think it is Dane too. I went too far. I promise you I did read this book. I just, he was not, he did not stick in my head very well. I'm not taking the blame for any of this because I'm not the expert today. I think another important thing to establish before we get into this is, um, so when we say the word extraordinary, that is a specific term that is used in the world of vicious to refer to people with superhuman abilities. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind of cat. casually that's not the word i'm looking for um they're referred to as eos in everyday conversation so we'll probably use that term colloquially there's an sat word for you guys this is what you get when you have a podcast with an ap teacher (laughs) do they even have standardized tests anymore or are we all going test optional gosh darn it testing is mandatory for all students in my county that's a different conversation (laughs) Also, total tangent, but shout out to my one student who religiously listens to our podcast. I forgot about that. <laughs> Thank you. We have we have two major fans of the podcast so far. One of them is Rachel's sister and one of them is Rachel's student. <laughs> and We're here we, for it. we are very appreciative of both of them. Thank you guys for listening. And I think this kind of goes without saying, because this is a very character-driven book, that we can't really pull the characters out of the plot. This is going to be very spoiler-ridden. Yes. Yeah, I was trying to think, like, how can we split up this conversation, like, how we did with One of Us is Lying and One of Us is Next, Mm -hmm. where we sort of have the spoilers later and I was like everything is so spoilery because the characters and what we learn about them are so interwoven with how the plot unfolds so and I kind of feel like how the conversation between character driven versus plot driven books came up was us talking about how we were going to lay out this episode yeah so I think it is safe to say we will try to keep spoilers to a minimum but you can I don't think we will reveal necessarily what happens at the end end of the book until the end end of the the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I think it is fair to say that we will be talking about different character traits and details about them and their backstories Mm -hmm. that I would that are probably spoilers, but aren't like big plot changing spoilers. I can agree with that. So just a fair warning for people who are out there. And as one more thing before we get started, do we want to talk about trigger warnings with this book? Because this book has a lot. And if anyone listening is going to say like, ew, why would you list trigger warnings? Well, because there are some really heavy topics that get talked about in this book. And we want to make sure that we are safely endorsing books to all populations of people. Yes. And so Vicious is written for an adult audience. Um, Just, I know that we may have some younger listeners out there, so just keep that in mind. Um, I think it is accessible to um, like a teenager, Mm -hmm. young adult reading 
age group, but it is the, the audience in mind is adult readers. Mm-hmm. I am looking at the book trigger warning database, which is a very good tool for anyone who is deciding whether or not they want to read a book. Um, they tend to um, they tend to list triggers without being spoilery, which I really appreciate. So some of the trigger warnings that they list, I, I'll link the whole list um, in the podcast description, but some of the big ones would be um, consumption of alcohol, animal death, there is blood, um, lots of dying happens in this book, <laughs> um, drug use, violence, um, panic attacks, self-harm, sexual assault, suicide, and just general violence. This is not a book mm-hmm. for children. <laughs> And this is not a light book. This is not a light book, for sure. Um, If the skulls and bones on the cover did not give that away, this is not a light book. Yes. This is is very much a Rachel book, though. Yes. It even has the color scheme, I feel like. Um, most of the books, if you went back and listened to, or if you have been listening to us for a while and you listened to our top 10 books of 2021, a lot of Rachel's favorite books had this sort of red, black, and white color scheme. Um, I'm not sorry. I'm not saying you should be sorry. I'm just saying this does fit the, um, design aesthetic of Rachel's books as well. (laughs) Yes. So shall we dive? What? I was just going to say, we just talked about trigger warnings. We just talked about trigger warnings. Now we're going to get deep into the conversation i feel like we need to talk about victor and eli yes rachel is making a face rachel how do you feel about victor and eli i love victor and i hate eli i i do not know that's not true eli is among my like on site characters. And as in, was, you would fight them on site. As in, I would kill them on site. Oh, <laughs> not just fight. He has surpassed the fight stage. Um, and I'm I'm gonna bring some other characters in real fast, and mm-hmm. they're all gonna be Shadow and Bone characters. <laughs> the king. The apparat and the the other prince that isn't Nikolai, those three are on my instant kill list, and Eli is like above them. Maybe not the king. The king can go die in a hole by himself. My feelings about him, but that's for another season. That's for another season. I did not know that you had a kill list, so to speak. Yes. Something tells me Eli would take a lot of pride in being at the top of that list because he's a twisted human being. But please continue, Maggie. How do you feel about Victor and Eli? I also really like Victor. Maybe we should talk about Victor first. (laughs) I think we should talk about Eli first. Oh. Because then I'll calm down when I talk about Victor. Okay. So Eli is, let me put it this way. If you went to any kind of school at any point in time, and there was that one like white boy that you went to school with that everyone just fawned over, he was like conventionally good looking. He got good grades. He was popular. He was charismatic. That's Eli. 
the kind of guy that you're just like, why are you so perfect? I want to punch you in the face. Um, I can think of people that I would also put into that category, but are not actual socio sociopaths like Eli mm-hmm. probably is. Um, I am not going to make a professional diagnosis because I do not know much about psychology, but I feel like he fits into that uh, category. Um, I was reading this in the classroom and I looked, it was during lunch and I mm -hmm. looked up at my students because I have kids that eat lunch in my room. And I said, I think this character is a psychopath. Yep. So I'm fine with diagnosing fictional characters. Okay. Well, Eli's a psychopath, but we don't really find that out until about midway through the book. Um, yeah. So after he, he's also, I think one of the most, fa- I think the thing that I find most fascinating about Eli is that he is religious. Um, mm-hmm. But it is not in a good way. <laughs> Eli talks about religion because he is, in this book, the religious character, a very warped sense of religion. We don't hear him identify himself toward a particular religion, but uh, it seems from the way that he talks about God that it is at least in some form of Christianity. Although I think it leans more towards Catholicism because he crosses over himself, which is a Catholic thing, not so much a Protestant thing. Not that I think... Okay, no, there is a difference because Catholicism has more to do with a penance for sin, which is something that Eli is very, very, very focused on. So I would say that he leans more towards Catholic. But there also is kind of this disconnect because he ends up playing God in his science experiment, right? So the premise or the, the big thing that happens here is for his senior thesis, Eli decides he's going to research EOs and figure out how they're quote unquote made. And Victor gets jealous because Eli's doing this really cool research and he's just doing some random crap. Well, Victor's research kind of comes into play with Eli's research because Victor is researching like adrenal glands. Yeah. Which ends up having to do with how EOs are made, but they just, Mm -hmm. but Victor and Eli in a Again, what did I say at the beginning? In yet another example of why college boys should not be left unsupervised, they decide to test out Eli's theory on themselves, which involves creating a near-death experience. Except within that near-death experience, you actually have to die. Yes. And then Temporarily. And then yeah. come back. <laughs> like it is still dying though just so yeah, you still you still that. die your heart stops mm-hmm. and so yeah victor is the first attempt he fails and then eli says so i've been thinking about my turn and victor's like dude they're trying to prescribe me therapy right now um mm-hmm. but then eli goes and eli's trial is successful and he becomes an eo or an extraordinary person i guess i don't know why i put that pause there um (laughs) but i just thought it was really interesting how he believes in god and yet he is also playing god like who is yeah it's very weird 
though he he would not describe himself as playing god he thinks he is a vessel for god to use however from an outsider's perspective it looks like he is playing god in general the way that v schwab goes about talking about religion in the sense is interesting she makes it very clear that eli's version of this religion is warped and wrong she doesn't use it to justify why he does what he does she uses it through other characters to point out why eli is so flawed in this religious belief and how his own belief that he is this angel sent by god to rid the world of extraordinaries is in fact false and just Eli twisting things to make himself feel better because he can't come to terms with the fact that he made a mistake and he's just as broken and inhuman as all the other EOs. I was gonna say, this is one quote I wrote down. Um, Somebody asks Victor what Eli's power is and Victor replies, (laughs) self-righteousness, which I think just about sums it up. His power Mm -hmm. ends up being that he can heal himself Eli can heal himself he can't heal other people only himself and he sees this as sort of like a holy power he's it's reflexive he can't affect other people with it and so he thinks he's been given this gift from his god to for whatever reason it's it's very very twisted and yeah he has a very I was gonna say shellfish selfish (laughs) ability Yes. Especially compared to Victor's and Sydney's. Mm-hmm. But it very much falls in line with Serena's. For sure. In the, like, selfish category. I I definitely agree with that. Which, again, I, I'm, I think I mentioned this to you before, but I think there's a very distinct parallel between, like, Eli and Victor and Sydney, or Serena and Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also their powers also reflect that. Their EO abilities also reflect that. Definitely. I just, from the moment I first saw Eli on the page, I was like, no, thank you. No, he does not you. give off good vibes. No. He. He's like straight up creepy. Yeah. I mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. He would not be one of my ducklings. Mhm. I would agree with that strongly, in fact. I'm trying to find where we first see Eli. It's like the first chapter when um the second chapter, Maggie, okay. get with the program. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's one of the first chapters whatever and like he interrupts victor in the library yes i think he's outside no he's in the library well well i don't know anything is he in the library (laughs) one second please hold please hold maybe i'll get us at least at lachlan university and he's vandalizing a library book yes but i don't think he's in the library i don't know they're about to go eat food, I think. Mm-hmm. No, they're about to go to class. Then they go eat they're food. Go, they go to class and then they go eat food. Everything that Eli says just feels very carefully calculated. 
mm-hmm. like I'm trying to find the line now. Um, after the class where they declare their senior theses and Eli says his thing about EOs and everything, um, as they're leaving class, Victor's like, bro, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, why this is, you're just screwing with us, right? Um, and before Eli can answer, he gets a phone call from Angie, like to meet up for lunch, right? And it's almost like, I, I don't know if I just picked up on this because I'm reading this for the third time, but Eli almost has this switch where he's like, he answers the phone, he talks to Angie, and then he says, we've been summoned. Eli slung his arm around Victor's shoulders. My fair damsel is hungry. I dare not keep her waiting. Like he just like switched the charm back on. And Victor comments on that, like a yep. lot. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I had a line about this. I'm going to find it. See, this is why I tap things now. You're welcome, Maggie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Eli is just like, he's creepy. And then yes, we get parts of it from his perspective. And you're like, excuse me, sir? what and mm. yeah i'm very interested so you haven't finished vengeful yet i've Mm -hmm. read it before already of course but i haven't started rereading yet rereading it yet one of the big selling points when vengeful came out was that it was going to explore more of eli's backstory and people were yeah that was like a big thing that people were talking about so I will be very interested to see what you think of him after that, but I'm not going to say anything else. Oh, is this like his backstory, backstory? Backstory, backstory, like before Lachlan, before he met Victor. I didn't think Eli was in Vengeful because I didn't read the like premise for it. I just went into it. Mm -hmm. We will get some of his, more of his backstory than we got in Vicious. But that was like a big thing that people were talking about. I, we can talk about that another time. I, I, and Charmaine agrees with me. <laughs> we still don't like Eli, but I'll be interested to see what you think about him. There, there's a line in The Faithless Hawk, which I think is applicable here, that mm-hmm. just says, you know, what childhood trauma justifies mass murder? And I feel like, like, that very much applies to Eli. It surely does. But we've given him enough screen time now, I think. Uh, yeah, he can go die in a hole alone. Are we ready to talk about Victor? Victor! <laughs> go ahead, Maggie. I don't know where to begin. Do we talk about Victor or do we talk about how we feel about Victor? And by we, I kind of mean you. Let's talk about Victor. Then we can talk about my <laughs> So, Victor, let me just tell you my bullet point here. My first bullet point in the notes is, we love a morally corrupt man. Um, not that Eli is also not morally corrupt, but he's like over, there's a certain line, and Eli has crossed it. It's, it's my favorite thing, right? The character who has a very strong moral compass and always puts himself on the wrong side. Mm-hmm. Victor so, falls into that. I yes, for sure. 
so yeah, Victor, he's Eli's roommate. He's kind of a loner type. Um, he doesn't have the he, charisma of Eli. Yes. He's, in fact, if you saw him, if you went to school with him and you saw him on campus, you would probably want to go the other way. He kind of just has that. No, keep talking. I, I feel like he has... Unlike Eli, who has that sort of all-American boy charisma, Eli or Victor almost has the opposite effect where people generally are not drawn to him. In fact, they may be repelled by him, except for Angie, who is the first person and really the only person to befriend him on campus during their first Mm -hmm. year. I was just going to say that Eli would very much be like the person that I would run away from. And Victor would very much be the type of person that I would run to. And while I was reading this, Maggie, do you remember me telling you that I had a friend that very much reminds me of Victor from college? You did not tell me that. (laughs) Yes, I have a friend from college who very much reminds me of Victor. Interesting. So I think that just adds to the, like, I would have been friends with Victor and Eli would have Mm -hmm. screwed the crap out of me. Yes. I think I personally agree with that. I was going for more of like a generalization of. I can agree with that. I don't know. Yeah. So also I've noticed on this reread, he's a, con- he, he watches crime dramas. <laughs> he, he, there's a line in here that mentions like, thanks to a healthy diet of crime dramas. And I was like, yeah. what? Um, I, I mean, it makes like sense. It was just, line. Yeah. yeah, and I was just like, "We're not, we're not <laughs> talking about this." Does Victor Vale binge watch Criminal Minds? Like, I need answers. I feel like Criminal Minds, and then like CSI and mm-hmm. SVU, like all those. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which, actually, looking back now, maybe, he probably should have had more friends in college. I feel like everybody I knew in college was like obsessed with those three shows, like or like specifically Criminal Minds and SVU. Mm-hmm. I used to have a friend in college who lived on the opposite side of campus. So I lived in one building, she lived in the other building, and we both loved Criminal Minds. So mm-hmm. I would walk from my building, go through the student union, and pick up a thing of strawberries and a gluten-free brownie. And I would go to her dorm room and she would have coconut ice cream because she was lactose intolerant. I'm gluten-free and we would mix, we would heat up the brownie, put ice cream on top of it and put the strawberries on top of it and then watch Criminal Minds on her bed. That sounds delightful. It's one of my favorite things. I was trying to think, what else do we need to know about Eli? Um, His parents are not- Or yeah, about Victor. Sorry, I keep getting them mixed up. I have a line (laughs) about Eli in all caps right in front of me on the screen. That's what keeps throwing me off. (sighs) Yeah, Victor's parents aren't around. They are some famous like... What's the word I'm thinking? Psychologists turn self-help. Like like pop psychology type people. All these self-helps like... Just the kind of stuff that you would see in a bookstore and cringe at. They're like Dr. Phil had he kept his medical license. Yes. And so they're, they like throughout Victor's whole childhood, they've been off doing whatever tours and lectures and whatever nonsense. So Victor is not very close to them and he mm-hmm. seems okay with that. But that that is kind of an important thing for later. <laughs> I love Victor. 
Would you like to talk about how you love Victor? I just, I have a thing for the characters that, again, have a very strong moral compass, but always put themselves on the wrong side, which might seem weird to say about Victor. And the first time I said that to Maggie, I think she looked at me like I was crazy. I wouldn't say that. I was a little concerned. <laughs> yeah. And, but I didn't and, think you were crazy. I I specified, I was like, he is not a traditional good guy, which is again why we call him a protagonist. Right. And he's not doing what he's doing for the greater good. Yes. What everything he does in this book is done very selfishly, in fact. Yes, I think by the end, he is starting to realize that he, A, couldn't do it alone, Mm -hmm. and B, some of his motives had started changing. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I wouldn't say that the reasons that are added are the main reasons. I think his first reason is still his main reason. Mm hmm. But I think by the end, he's starting to realize that it's not as clear cut as he thought it was going to be. I, yes, for sure. Um, I'm going to insert a bit here um, that Charmaine recorded because she talks a lot about how she loves Victor and loved him a lot more during... um, this most her most recent read victor was really kind of the first time i had read a morally great character and loved him so so much like i've been in love with victor vale since 2017 and this book just confirmed that i am still absolutely utterly in love with him all of my story graph notes are about victor so on january 7th i wrote I decay if it's because he can control electricity and therefore me, but Victor still makes my heart go all woo, which like he does. I'm not apologizing for that. He he does. And then I looked up fan art for Victor, which just kind of proved to me that he's really, really attractive because I really like the quote unquote official fan art for him, that the one that's on the uh it's on the wiki page. So I'm going off that one. And then that version, like Victor's hot. And then on January 12th, I have another note that just says, man, I forgot how much I'm attracted to Victor. Um, mm-hmm. I also really like Victor, maybe not to the same extent um, as my co as my dear co-host and my dear friend. Um, <laughs> but I do really love Victor. I think he, I feel like every time I read this book, I have a different favorite character. Um, but that's kind of besides the point. But yeah, um, another one of the reasons I asked Charmaine to be a part of this podcast um, was because in college, she actually wrote a paper um, for her communication theory class that revolved around Vicious and the sequel Vengeful. She talks about why people get so drawn to antiheroes and villains and the sort of research that has gone into that. One of the theories that we learned about was narrative paradigm. And I absolutely fell in love with that theory because the first thing that I thought about when I was learning about narrative paradigm is vicious and vengeful. Narrative paradigm shows us and explains to us why we like certain stories and certain characters and why we don't like others. 
and it's been used to research a lot about why people like anti-heroes and villains and there's a lot of things that go kind of into that idea of why people are drawn to these kinds of characters. Um, David Rob Robson in 2016 made the claim that while villains can be made repulsive in many ways, a clear inside look at how these characters are and who they are can cause the audience to relate to the villain. That's why we are more likely to sympathize with someone who has done bad things if we're given really, really good explanations as to why they did those bad things. This is kind of a version of literary Darwinism that suggests we might be drawn to dark characters who are more likely to survive, even if that means accepting that they have dark morals, because we would rather root for someone who has higher chance of survival, believing that it means something about ourselves, than to root for a weaker character because they would die. I think that might also explain why <laughs> we are so drawn to Victor as a character, as opposed to Eli, mm -hmm. who is who is completely wrong and while victor is no saint um he's i don't necessarily want to say the lesser of two evils but it's there is a reason that more people are drawn to him as opposed to eli yes and i can't get the thing to load so i'm just not going to worry about it but it was something along the lines of maggie i really don't want to like victor but i think i love him <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that that sounds accurate. <laughs> Which again is accurate for me and the type of characters that I like. Indeed. So Eli and Victor kind of have this, their relationship is something. <laughs> uh, yes, it is something. <laughs> it is, it sure is something. It does not read as a plutonic relationship the entire time yes uh yeah yes <laughs> that is a good way to put it um yeah I think what was I going I have so many notes here the whole book is really driven by their character dynamics so I feel like it's important that we kind of talk about that I was thinking about this and Charmaine put it really well um, that Victor almost wants to be like Eli in some ways. Yes. Or he wants Eli to be more like him. Um, yes. Yeah. I think I would easier, I would have an easier time agreeing to the second statement than to the first statement. The more that I was reading this, the more I thought of the absolutely iconic line that everyone knows from this book, which is plenty of humans were monstrous and plenty of monsters knew how to play at being human. This, I think, sums up Victor and Eli very well because Victor is the human who is monstrous and Eli is the monster who knew how to play at being human. I think that is a lot of what we tend to almost miss about their dynamic that Victor wishes he was like Eli. He wishes he was completely a monster because that's easier for him than admitting that he's a human who has monstrous wants and he has this monstrous attitude towards things and that he doesn't feel as bad as he should. The fact that he recognizes that and tries to teach himself to feel guilt 
more and to feel bad about killing people, I think says more about him than Eli, who twists everything to make himself the hero and to justify things. The One of the first things Victor, as our narrator, is kind of talking about Eli showing up at Lockland University where they go to school. He says, mm-hmm. Eli, who showed up in the hallway sophomore year with a suitcase and a smile. Eli, who believed in God and had a monster inside just like Victor, but knew how to hide it better. Eli, who got away with everything, who had slipped into his life and stolen the girl and the top rank and the stupid holiday research grant. So Victor is jealous over Eli, not necessarily for the things that he has, but because Victor, I think Victor recognizes that Eli is also a, Victor recognizes his own sort of darkness in him for lack of a better term and he sees that reflected in Eli as well but he's jealous that Eli is able to hide it and he almost wants to prove like you guys see that this this guy's messed up too right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) he wants to break that he wants to break Eli's facade I feel like Victor wants Eli's charisma Mm -hmm. but still wants to be himself yes also, I found the quote this time. Oh, um, yes. I sent you a quote that we will probably talk about a little bit later. And then I said in all capital letters, stop it, Victor. I cannot have feelings for someone I think might be a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we love a degenerate. And then my very next comment was, at least I don't have feelings for Eli. Mm-hmm. Could always be worse. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay, Rachel? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> um, um, something else that I think fits really well into this conversation is their relationship to Angie. Yes, let's talk about Angie. Why don't you talk about Angie? And then I will talk about my thing with Angie um I said justice for Angie so spoilers coming up um Angie dies yeah like a third of the way through the book yeah so after Eli has become an EO Victor is all pissy about it um I feel like that's a good way to put it right yeah um Victor recruits Angie to help him become an EO basically by electrocuting him with some fancy engineering equipment that they just can have access to at this fancy school that they're at because that was her specialty because that was her specialty right she's an engineer which again why are we killing the women in stem but that's fine i just have a lot of emotions about this um so after victor's near-death experience turns out he is an eo but he doesn't really know how to control his power he doesn't understand what it is and ends up killing angie and accidentally accidentally she dies she's very dead um and i said justice for angie but i was noticing a lot on this reread especially like she is such an important character she like her death 
Victor becoming an EO and Angie's consequential death is sort of the point where this wedge gets driven in between Eli and Victor. Not necessarily because either of them really deeply cared about her. But yeah. I I just have emotions about her feeling more like a plot device than a character, but what do you have to say, Rachel? I don't know if that's when I would say they first had a, a wedge driven into them. I think that the first moment they had a wedge kind of driven between the two of them is when Eli and Angie started dating. Oh. because Victor always talks about how and this this is one of the things that I don't particularly like about Victor is mm-hmm. that he constantly talks about Angie was supposed to be his she was yeah. supposed to be mine mm-hmm. and he kind of has this concession of like well if she's going to be anyone's I'm glad it's going to be Eli's instead of someone else's but she was supposed to be mine right the line that I was thinking about earlier um It wasn't just that Eli stole Angie from Victor. That was bad enough. But somehow Angie had stolen Eli from him too. The more interesting Mm -hmm. Eli anyway. I do get the impression that both Eli and Victor, to different levels and different in different ways, kind of see Angie as a prize to be won. Yes. And I don't think that is necessarily a reflection on the author. Because no. you can have characters who have misogynistic ten- tendencies and not be a misogynist yourself, just so we're clear. <laughs> but yeah, I think to your point, like Victor kind of seems to feel like Angie was taken away from him by Victor. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, you know, Victor kind of lost her first. Yeah. Like I if don't he think really either of them deserved Angie. I would strongly agree with that. <laughs> I also think that they are very much behaving like 22-year-old boys. Also strongly agree. <laughs> I think if this happened to 32-year-old Angie, Eli, and Victor, technically she would have been a little younger because she's a little younger than the guys. But that's not the point. Mm-hmm. I I don't think that there would be as much like toxic masculinity in the three relationship dynamic. I agree. She doesn't get to have agency because the boys never give her agency in their own lives. Even she is just to them a person whom they have a level of connection with. Angie really has no impact on their lives other than like being the girlfriend or the friend, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. There's a part of me that's, yeah, there's a part of me that's like, why did we have to fringe the coolest character fringe fridge, not fringe (laughs) fridge. (laughs) Um, Do you know what I mean when I say fridge? Yeah. Fridge. Okay. Just, just so yeah. clear. But for our audience that might not know the term, it's when yeah. you kill off a character that is beloved by the main character or main characters in order to have them act or react to something. Mm-hmm. It typically happens to mothers, girlfriends, wives, pretty much any female character, sisters. 
um, mm-hmm. in order to have an impact on the main male character. It actually, I was reading the TV. I, re- I only remember this because I read it on TV tropes once, but I'm pretty sure it actually comes from a comic book where a female character was killed and stuffed into a fridge. I think it comes from Green Lantern. That sounds about right. And yes, the the wife is stuffed into a refrigerator and he finds her in the refrigerator and then reacts to that. Huh. So yeah, in some ways it kind of feels like Angie got fridged, but it also feels like the reason for that is be like the the reaction that both Eli and Victor have isn't because they have this really deep love for Angie. It's Mm-mm. more of a loss of something rather than someone yes I don't know yes and they both are reacting as a form of betrayal right so Mm -hmm. Victor turns to Angie because Eli won't help him right and so Victor is feeling betrayed by Eli and then Eli turns on Victor by turning victor in and he sees that as a like victor or not victor eli sees victor going to angie as another form of betrayal so Mm -hmm. they're both betraying each other yeah but this is also very different levels of betrayal like yes eli turns victor in and ends up sending him to prison where he spends 10 years at least half of which were in isolation And Victor was supposed to be there longer than 10 years. Yes. Victor did not um, get released on good behavior. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Not that he had bad behavior. Mm -hmm. He was like a model prisoner. Yes. As far as anybody could tell. Right. Because he (laughs) he would never touch another, another person. They would just spasm in pain. Um, I, I also don't know if we established this. Victor ends up, his ability ends up being that he can manipulate pain, whether for himself or for others. Yes. So, and it's very much just to be on the science side of things. It's like a manipulation of electricity. Oh, yes. You do the science things. I forgot I about that for a second. Things. Yes, I do the science things. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he dies by getting electrocuted. And then his abilities come from, A, wanting the pain to go away, but the way that he manipulates the pain is through electrical currents. Mm -hmm. And you see that a lot more at the beginning of Vicious, which I have started at this point, because he talks about the crackling. That's what I meant, because he Mm -hmm. talks about the crackling sounds, which would be the manipulation of electricity. Right, right. English teacher who science as well. Mm-hmm. Rachel is a true Renaissance woman. <laughs> Rachel is just chaotic and doesn't know when to stop learning. That's why we have a podcast, so we have an excuse <laughs> to learn things. Is that not what we're doing here? I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, total side note somebody reached out to me the other day and they were like hey one of our mutual friends reached out to me the other day and she was like hey um would you be interested in like in the future maybe writing some articles for my website that I'm starting I would pay you for it and I was like okay but I don't know anything about the subject area and she's like yeah but I could give you some stuff that you could research and I was like you know me I love to learn things that have no (laughs) practical application 
Do I have a background in sustainability? No, I do not. Will I read articles about it? I sure will. I think I know exactly who the mutual (laughs) friend is. (laughs) If she's listening to this, you know who you are. Hello. Does she even know about our podcast? I will tell you that story (laughs) later. (laughs) That sounds promising. Yes. so yeah, Victor. Okay, Eli but, and Victor. Okay, let's can can I move this conversation along? Yes, I was just thinking how who what do we want to talk about next? So speaking of characters I love dearly and may not be entirely straight. Let's talk about Mitch. <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was like I, you threw me for a second here. I feel like we need to talk about Victor, Sydney, and Mitch, like yes. their whole thing here. But so, I think we should, because we just talked about Victor being in prison. So let, mm-hmm. let's talk let's, about let's Mitch move and to then Mitch. bring Sydney in. Yeah. Mitch, Mitch is just a guy with bad luck, friends. He's the size of a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is that is true. <laughs> so he lands himself in prison for hacking, which is a surprise to everybody who's ever seen him because he looks like he um, punches brick walls for fun, I guess. He looks like the guy from that TikTok I sent you today. Yes. Yes, he, he was does. like seven feet tall, just mm-hmm. super massive. Yeah. But we so he's he. All he wants in life is to be a soft boy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he just wants to be left alone and to drink his chocolate milk. But he's had a string of bad luck that ended with him having some shorter stints in jail. And then he's like, what the heck? If I'm going to go to jail, might as well do it for something like worthwhile. I actually did. Worthwhile. So he tries to um, rob a bank and his accomplices turn him in when they are caught. So he, he did his part prison. perfectly mm-hmm. as he does because that that man is flawless in what he does mm-hmm. so he ends up at the same um penitent pen- i can never say this word right penitentiary 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 there's there, I, there I added go. an extra t <laughs> um <laughs> listen i don't talk much i just read so i never know how to say things what a mood I remember in one of my first years of college, I was taking a class and I was telling my, I was telling another professor about it. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm taking this class. And the name of the class had an author in the name and I pronounced the name of the author wrong. And they like corrected me. And I was just like, I felt like I had committed a sin and I needed to go to confession or something. Like, I was just like, I, no one ever said that what was the class it was my um first year seminar oh that makes sense Mm -hmm. but yeah i i mean they corrected the the professor i was talking to corrected in what i think was love um but it still made me very uncomfortable i was like i'm so sorry um anyway side total side note is just me saying things wrong um, Mitch just wants to live his life. But anyway, he meets Victor um, in the prison. And he Victor like a guard dog to Victor because yeah. he thinks yeah. Victor's going to get beat up. He sees Victor, this like 
I don't want to say Victor is small because I do think he has some level of imposing presence, but he looks like, like somebody who would. Mitch, yeah. Victor is like... kind of like a scrawny emo boy aesthetic. Yes. And Mitch is like, I could crush you with my fingertips. Victor is scrawny emo boy with a little bit more class. Yes. He's um, wealthy, scrawny emo boy. I Yes. Um, he looks like somebody who would have committed tax fraud and ended yes, up in and, prison. And Mitch even addresses that. He's like, does he, he must have done? Yeah, he says like he must have done some sort of white collar crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's sort of like, I think he he and Victor end up as cellmates, right? And so he yep. sort of takes this. He's like, somebody's going to kill this guy if I'm not with him at all times. <laughs> of course, he doesn't know that Victor could just kill somebody with, by looking at them, literally. Um, but yeah, so they kind through a series of events that happen in prison, they end up befriending each other and breaking out of the prison together. Mm hmm. At which point they meet Sydney. Sydney. Sydney is just a kid. She is 12 and 11 twelfths. Um, yep. So almost 13. And she you is could, also in. You could say she's 12 and 363, 365ths <laughs> when we first meet her. The more you know. I had to do that math in my head and it was really hard. That was impressive. I'm I'm impressed. Um yeah, so <laughs> I sorry think, to sidetrack. Well, no, I was trying to think. I was there was something I wanted to say here about this. I'll insert this clip. Let's talk about the relationship that Victor has with Sydney because I think it's absolutely adorable i think it's really funny that despite the fact that he really hates having human connections like one of the first things he does is he picks up this stray child from the side of the road and it just like victor pretends to be this big bad guy but he's really not and sydney brings that out of him and that just reinforces my, he has a strong moral compass and continues to put himself on the wrong side. Mm-hmm. But that is literally what happens. Like he drives, he and Mitch are driving and like all of a sudden he's like, hey, pull over. And there's just this kid with a bullet wound. And he's like, um, actually the you're first thing. Now. <laughs> you're mine now. The first thing that Victor does is he makes a dad joke. Um. <laughs> I didn't notice this before. He's Sydney says it, it goes, I'm cold, she said. I'm Victor, he said, and she offered him a small, exhausted flicker of a smile. But like in that moment, it's just so comforting. Because mm-hmm. she has literally just been shot. Yes. Like she needs something of comfort. And mm-hmm. Again, Victor just like collects stray people, yes. stray beings. And he, he mm-hmm. says that several times. He collects Mitch, who has no friends because he mm-hmm. thinks he's cursed. He being Mitch thinks he himself is cursed. He collects Sydney, who is just like her entire world has been destroyed at this point. And then when 
when he asks Sydney like what her ability as an EO is, she demonstrates by they find this massive dog just I, I might be a little crass here and I apologize. They just find this dog that has that is dying in mm. an alleyway. And after they they see the dog die and then Sydney resurrects him. They don't and see they don't just see the dog die. Sydney says, kill it to Victor. And, and Victor, Victor does shoots the dog. And then Sydney brings it back to life. And he is impressed like victor does not do outward displays of emotion but i think it is pretty obvious like i would go as far as to say he is flabbergasted he is indeed flabbergasted what i can't find the quote now but he says something like now that is a gift or something i think that's exactly what he says Mm -hmm. i don't know if he stresses it the same way but that's how i picture it happening so that's that's obviously what happens i imagine Um, it like with like the cocked eyebrows like now that is a gift yes and then the the first thing sydney asks is can we keep him and um the dog who is now named dole um returns to the hotel with them and and dole is literally the height of sydney Mm -hmm. i want to find that scene okay here we go um Victor watched, speechless. Up until now, he'd had factors, thoughts, ideas about how to find Eli. But as he watched the dog blink and yawn and breathe, a plan began to take shape. Sydney looked cautiously his way, and he smiled. What now page is that, on? I'm on page 170 in the hardcover. Okay. Sorry, keep going. Now that, he said, is a gift. She petted the dog between the ears, both of which stood roughly eye level with her. Can we keep him? And then we cut to the next scene. There's like a little line break here. I'm going to keep reading though, because I love this scene. Victor tossed his coat onto the couch as Sydney and the dog wandered in behind him. It's time to send a message, he announced, dropping the veil self-help book he'd bought onto the counter with a flourish and thud to Eli Ever. By the way, I don't know if we mentioned this, but Eli now goes by Eli Ever because he thinks he's a superhero. The dialogue continues. Where the hell did that dog come from? Asked Mitch. I get to keep him, said Sydney. Is that blood? I shot him, said Victor, searching through his papers. Why would you do that? Asked Mitch, closing the laptop. Because he was dying. Then why isn't he dead? Because Sydney brought him back. Mitch turned to consider the small blonde girl in the middle of their hotel living room. Excuse me? Her eyes went to the floor. Victor named him Dole, she said. It's a measurement of pain, explained Victor. Well, that's morbidly appropriate, said Mitch. Can we get back to the part where Sydney resurrected him? And what do you mean you're going to send Eli a message? I just really love that dialogue because I think it sums up their character dynamic really well. Just all of this back and forth and... Mitch being like, you people are insane. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Mitch is just a normal guy. (laughs) And something that we'll probably touch on a little bit later, but Sydney really loves Mitch and especially Victor. Mm -hmm. Like they have, the three of them have this like instant connection 
Mm -hmm. And Sydney's still young enough to believe that everything Victor does is good. Yes. And that brings two of my favorite quotes into play. I was going to say, do we want to talk about these? I I have three quotes from this book that I just adore. And Maggie knows Mm -hmm. what they are. But two of them are related to like Sydney's relationship with Victor. And one of them is she like he's Victor's trying to reassure Sydney and he goes, no one is going to hurt you. Do you know why? Because I'll hurt them first. And uh, that was the quote that I put in and then was like, I need to not have feelings for a psychopath. And then he's about to go do something kind of stupid and he tells Sydney that she can't come along and she asks why and Victor says because you don't think I'm a bad person and I don't want to prove you wrong oh my heart and I think Victor and Sydney sort of have this instant connection I think because he he finds out early on like after meeting Sydney that her parents also haven't been around very much she's had her older sister Serena for part of her life but her parents are often working and don't aren't really present in her life and Victor doesn't really voice this to any deep extent like he doesn't really reflect on this he's just like huh relatable but Charmaine had a point I think in a lot of ways Victor sees a version of himself that he wishes could have been nurtured differently in Sydney. He sees a girl who has had her family completely abandon her. Uh, Her parents have abandoned her for their work. Her sister has abandoned her to death. And Victor is the only one who really knows exactly what that feels like. And he sees that in Sydney to the point where he wants to protect her from it. And in his own way, he thinks that there is some level of good that he can do for her because he can provide her sort of a twisted version of family that shows her that she doesn't have to be quite as alone in all of this. Again, I don't know if he's consciously processing this, but they sort of have that connection of they don't have anybody else. And Victor sees this small child. And of course, he's also thinking about how he can use her for his own gain to get back at Eli but even if he was just using her I don't think he would be as protective over her as he is for sure I love Sydney I love Sydney I love Mitch I love Victor I love Dole Mm -hmm. I love that Sydney and Victor both have abilities that they use to help others. Yes, Victor also uses his to hurt others, mm-hmm. but he actively uses it on Sydney and on Mitch and on Dom to alleviate their pain. Mm-hmm. And that that hurts my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the first things he does for Sydney is when they first pick her up, first of all, he's like, uh, you've been shot. <laughs> um, and takes away the pain from that so that she can like relax but when they get Mm -hmm. to their hotel um i don't think we mentioned this before but both eli and victor were pre-med students um 
I don't remember if Eli graduated or not. I'm assuming he did. I don't actually remember. Um, Victor did not because he went to prison. (laughs) Eli, I think, did, but he didn't go to med school because he just kind of got away with everything because Mm -hmm. he was traumatized. And I say that with air quotes because he kind of caused all of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel sorry for him. Yeah. Um, But... You know, one of the first things Victor does for Sydney is when they get back to the hotel room, he tries to treat her wound because it's some, which again, is not something he necessarily had to do. Right. He definitely didn't have to do it. He didn't have to take Sydney off the side of the road. I think part mm-hmm. of the reason that he stopped, and I don't remember if this is explicitly said in the book or not, is that he could, like, he could sense that she was in pain. Mm-hmm. Yes, he can sense pain and things like that, I think to some level yeah like he 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 says it's easier to manipulate pain when you have something that is already painful Mm -hmm. so I think he can kind of recognize that and kind of recognize that Sydney had been shot Mm -hmm. and was like why is there a small child on the side of the road with the blood on her jacket and why is she in pain Mm mm-hmm ah but he does other things too that just kind of show like little things that feel like caring. And again, you could totally, I think you could read this in a very cynical way and be like, well, these are obviously just things that he's doing to manipulate a small child and get her on his mm-hmm. side. But things like, you know, he lets her keep the dog and like he buys her hot chocolate. And that was such a soft scene. Yes, I loved it. And then he goes and buys um, his parents' new book and then immediately defaces it, which I admired. That's a whole mood. You know, he's grown really fond of them. Sydney's only been around for a couple of days, but he loves that little girl with his whole heart. And he tells her that they're a team, which like is such a cute thing. And it's not something you would normally tell a kid if you didn't have a certain level of care for them. And if you didn't have a level of brotherly or paternal instinct towards them that's just not something like you generally tell a child unless you know that that's what children want to hear so i i just i think their relationship is so sweet and wholesome he actively tries to protect her from the most traumatizing parts of things i don't want you to believe i'm a bad guy yep and she doesn't Right, right. She literally describes him as her safe space. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that the way Victor acts around Sydney is very paternal. Mm-hmm. Very paternal. Yeah. Like, she idolizes Victor, and Victor mm-hmm. knows that. Right. And Victor's like, I can't. I cannot continue to shatter what little childhood she has left. Mm-hmm. At the very least, Victor makes an older brother. I think he's a somewhat questionable father, but like. I didn't say he was good. I just said that his reaction is very paternal. Very paternal. Yes, for sure. I think it's a lot more like a sibling relationship than a father-daughter relationship. I don't think, absolutely not, would Victor be a good father. I really don't think so as a brother he's passable because the responsibility isn't entirely on him but he should absolutely never become a father just absolutely not which is probably a good thing that he doesn't really talk to women in general 
Do we want to talk about Serena? Do we have to? Yes, she's kind of important. So Sydney has her older sister, Serena. Who's in college. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can tell by our tone, listeners. We don't like Serena. Serena and Sydney were in the same accident that created that turned them both into EOs. So Sydney ended up with her ability of sort of resurrection. Serena, I didn't have a good name to. That's what she's called in the book. They call her a siren. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I need to be angry about this for a second. Victor freaking quotes the Odyssey at the end of the book in, in relation to Serena. And I was like, can I not get away from the Odyssey for one second? This was like a whole thing. One of my one of my years of college. I just after I read like the Iliad and the Odyssey, I kept seeing them everywhere, and I was like, "Please, can I just live in peace?" No. Um, apparently, that's not true. Maggie, I also want to point out that your favorite book series is Percy Jackson. So part of that is your own flipping fault. Okay, but if I'm not reading Percy Jackson, I that's different (laughs) let me be angry take the literary illusions and the amount of pride that you can have from being able to identify them fair enough but I'm still a little salty about it besides the point so anyway Serena so her ability is that she can tell people what to do no matter who they are she can turn on the charm whatever it is I don't know and convince people to do as she says. Um, she does. She can't. She can't turn it off. She can't turn it off. Yes, that's true. And she talks about how she just wants somebody to challenge her. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and so Eli, on his binge of killing EOs, comes to kill Serena, and she convinces him rather easily not to, and they end up teaming up because. Eli is under her spell. Um, yeah. I, I have no love lost for Serena. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot stand her. Um, she tells her boyfriend to walk off a cliff or jump off a bridge or something. Yep. And he does. Mm-hmm. And she has no remorse. She's like, well, yep. he didn't challenge me. Mm-hmm. she gets drawn to Eli because he does try to challenge her even though it's futile like he can't do anything about it um, also no love lost for Serena because she what she and Eli kind of become a thing or they team up and Eli finds out that Sydney is also an EO mm-hmm. and so Serena calls Sydney up and is like hey come why don't you come and me. visit I want you to meet my new boyfriend. And that's when Eli shoots her. And the only reason he doesn't kill her is because Serena has second thoughts and distracts him for a split second enough for Sydney to slip enough out of the way that he doesn't make a killing shot. Mm -hmm. There is a line that I don't know if I tabbed, but I think I um, wrote it down. What page Mitch, are you on? Mitch says to... What page are you on? I am on page 345 in the hardcover. So Mitch, this is towards the very end of the book where Mitch and Serena kind of have a face-off. 
And Mitch says to Serena, I like to think there's a special place in hell for girls who feed their little sisters to wolves. Mm -hmm. And that's what Serena did. And Serena dies at the end of the book, which again, no love lost. At least from me and Rachel. (laughs) Yeah. But let's talk about that power dynamic between her and Eli. Because we had an interesting conversation about that. Can I, can I, can I go off? Yeah, go off. Okay. So, huh. They have a creepy relationship because Serena is what? Like 19, 20 at max. She's not a senior. She's a sophomore in college. Yeah. Eli, while he looks 22 because he's, he can regenerate himself. He's 32 at this point. So he's 32 years old and he is dating Serena who is 19. First of all. Sure, it is a legal relationship, but it's still kind of creepy. And by kind of, I mean definitely. But normally in those types of relationships, the older male has the power in the relationship. And normally it is the older male manipulating the younger female when we are talking about this specific type of relationship. Right. However, in this case, Serena literally has all the power. She is the one that makes, like, forces them into a relationship, essentially. And mm-hmm. there could be an interesting commentary about how she kind of, like, essays him because he doesn't get a choice in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And she makes them a thing. And then she suggests, air quotes around that, that they continue working together and have this like almost Bonnie and Clyde style relationship. And the whole thing, I just, I get so heated about this because it is so not okay between the power dynamic and just the whole relationship at large. Like Eli believes that he is this gift from god and serena is like well obviously i must be here to help you with that and i'm like serena honey no and i i might dislike serena more than i dislike eli really i yeah i might because i will say she can do whatever she wants and get away with it and Mm -hmm. no but eli is the same way Remember that line from like, I almost said the first chapter again. It's actually the second chapter. Sorry, Rachel. Um, from the second chapter where it's all Eli had to do was smile. All Victor had to do was lie. Both proved frighteningly effective. Eli yes. gets away with so much because he has, what did I, did I say this to you? He has pretty white boy privilege. Yeah. At least before he becomes an EO, right? Yes. And so in that sense, he and Serena kind of parallel each other. Yes, for sure. But Serena, like, is that. Eli does that. I got you. That and the, like, sibling betrayal and she, like she's kind of the reason she and Sydney are EOs Mm -hmm. and she like abandons her sister in the hospital does not talk to her sister turns her sister into Eli like I would not have been surprised that if Serena had killed Sydney herself Mm -hmm. 
And it almost happened. Yeah. On, on like more than one occasion. Mm Mm-hmm. I, and I I don't know if that's just like my older sibling-ness coming out of like Mm -hmm. having a younger sister of having two other younger brothers, like, you feel me i feel that if i saw serena i would slap her across the face and then she's also on my like instant kill list Hmm. i actually did not i knew you felt strongly about her i did not know you felt this strongly about her i don't know if i knew i felt this strongly about her (laughs) (laughs) she is under the apparatus interesting I feel like we need to make a graph and link it in the show notes so that people can see the list. I feel like it needs to be an evolving list. Maybe we can mm-hmm. add that to the website. There we go. Um, we're making a website. It's probably out by the time that this episode comes out, but you know, we'll work on that. Rachel's instant <laughs> kill characters list. <laughs> um, I was going to say something related to this. I wanted to go back to one of the points that you said earlier, where I think it is interesting how let like, let's say, let's say the gender roles were reversed in the Serena and Eli relationship where Mm -hmm. Eli, the male character is the siren and the female character is the other person. Like it is interesting how, Serena gets away with it more than if a if it was a male character with a female character yes in the other I, I you know what I'm trying to say like if the roles were reversed Eli would not get away with this from either the readers or from anybody else in the book right but right. Serena is able to get away with it partly because Eli we don't like Eli anyways so we don't feel too bad for him it's still wrong what Serena does to him but yeah, it, it that was just an interesting point. We don't have to dive into that because that's a whole that's like a whole iceberg of a conversation there. I I don't know if society as a whole is ready to have that conversation about how that double standard of like sexual assault or rape isn't always applied to male victims of sexual mm-hmm. assault. And again, like you said, like if their roles were reversed and Eli were the siren, he wouldn't get away with it. He would be probably one of the most hated characters in all of literature. Yes, for sure. But Serena gets a pass because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said about that. But Our listeners obviously can't see me, but I am (laughs) like, I feel visibly upset. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you are perceiving that I am perceiving upsetness, but like I, I just I'm so mad, and she makes me so mad, and she makes me sick to my stomach because there are women yeah. like her that exist, and that pisses mm-hmm. me off. Without abilities, right? Right. And and th- there are men like that that exist, but mm-hmm. again, the fact that we have such a double standard pisses me off Mm -hmm. i will now contain my ranting well i just needed to go serena got what she deserved serena so did eli for the record 
Yes. Serena gets whacked and then burnt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said whacked and I'm thinking of that stupid <laughs> Which we can't <laughs> quote because it that would has not some, be arable. Has some swear words, yeah. <laughs> and we're back after a longer than normal intermission because we both needed to cool down a little bit. We had some internal crises that we needed to deal with externally with each other. Mm-hmm. Nothing is wrong, by the way. Everyone is fine. It's just, you yeah. know, sometimes you just need a moment. You need to have a cool down. Mm-hmm. But I think we should move on. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about the ending of the book. So this is going to be very spoilery. So if you've been with us through this whole thing so far and you still haven't read Vicious, um, first of all, highly recommend it. Um, But I think we are going five stars. Mm -hmm. So but we are going to be spoiling the ending here shortly. So just so you're aware. Rachel has a story she wants to tell, though. I have a story. It's about both of us. Okay. So I was reading the book, obviously, for the first time because Maggie is the book expert and all that. And I was like, Maggie, I feel like one of these characters is going to die and I don't know if I can handle this. And we are video calling. And I was like, does Mitch die? What are you going to say? Now, here's the thing. I can't lie (laughs) Um, or I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at hiding things. I usually end up smiling a lot when I'm lying. So there's a fun fact about me. Um, So as Rachel is asking me these questions, I'm thinking, ah, crap. And I turn my video camera off so that she cannot see me because I cannot lie to her. She would only turn her camera off when I asked about Victor. So I kind of knew that Victor was going to die. And I was having a real rough time coming to coming to like terms with it. Yes, because I love him. And I, I, I started my internal mourning from like the middle of the book until the end. And I cried. I, I was I was sobbing. I was sobbing. And my husband was playing video games. So thankfully, he did not hear me. But I. <laughs> just sitting there like (laughs) because there were two deaths right in a row and I was not prepared for the first one and I was kind of prepared for the second one and I'm just sitting there like (laughs) and then I read the end of the book Mm -hmm. so we won't keep you hanging any longer but towards the end of the book Eli and Victor have their final confrontation it's all very dramatic insert epic soundtrack of your choice Um, and of course you can't kill Eli he's basically immortal because he can regenerate himself but as Victor says you'll have to forgive me I've waited so long to try and what actually ends up happening is Eli does kill Victor because Victor and cannot regenerate himself. Victor cannot regenerate himself. So Victor dies. And the cops show up. Serena has died already. So Eli's hold over the police force is no longer existent. Which we didn't touch on at all during the mm-hmm. podcast. Episode. We didn't, but it's fine. Because of Serena, Eli was able to work with the police and they did not turn him in, even though they were also after EOs. Correct. 
So there's your quick and dirty summary. Um, but with Serena dead, Eli no longer has that hold over the police and they arrest him because they show up. There's a dead guy. Mm-hmm. Eli doesn't have a scratch on him. So he obviously must be the culprit. Right. And he's he is covered in blood. He is covered in blood at both his yeah. own and Victor's. Yeesh. But and before so- before Victor dies. Sydney shows up with Dole and kind of confronts Eli because she's looking for Victor. And Eli shoots Dole and kills him. He's trying to shoot Sydney. And yeah, Dole so- jumps in front of Sydney to save her. So that was like strike one. Like you you hurt the dog. You killed the dog. Mm-hmm. For I'm- the record, Sydney does bring Dole back a second time, and he is a good boy. But and she he is struggles. Fine. He struggles the second time. Tears, uncontrollable sobbing. Mm-hmm. And then Victor dies, and more uncontrollable sobbing ensues. Um, Mitch and Sydney are able to get away right as the fight is happening. Um, yeah. Here we go. <clears throat> also, we did not touch on the character of Dom at all. He, he doesn't. Such a um, small little part. He has a very small role in this book. I kind of forgot that he had such a small role, but he ends up working with Victor because he was. <sighs> what happens with Dominic? He so he was a military guy. He his like convoy got blown up. And he, mm-hmm. I think, was, like, the only one to survive, but right. just barely. Mm-hmm. Um, he died. He's an EO. And he can kind of travel between the spaces of yeah. things. As Maggie put it in our notes, he's the shadow man. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole reason he ends up working with Victor is because of this because of what happened to him when he was in the military. He is injured and is always in excruciating pain. And Victor can take that pain away, right? Which is important because Mitch, Sydney, and Dominic are fleeing the scene. And Dominic just doubles over in pain all of a sudden. And Sydney are also in pain because it's only been like three days since Sydney was shot. And Mm -hmm. Mitch was shot earlier that morning or that day. Yeah. He cried out. And at the same time, Sydney clutched her arm and Mitch rubbed at his bruised ribs pain swept over the three like a current like a breath something held back and now returned and then one by one they realized what that meant it means that victor just died sydney is distraught mitch caught her around the waist wincing as she kicked and screamed and told him to put her down it's over he whispered as she fought it's over it's over I'm sorry. It's over. Ah! <laughs> and so we're all crying because I'm going to start crying again. Oh, don't cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the good news is that even though Eli, as he's being arrested, screams for everybody that they need to burn Victor's body, they don't. Um, and Sydney ends up resurrecting him a couple days later. And that's how the book ends like what's the last one like victor looked up and smiled or something like that um rachel's gonna find it yes except they went into the like extras part so oh yes please hold please hold
I'm going to read the whole paragraph. For me, it's page 364. Sydney looked down at Victor's body. Then she perched on the edge of the coffin and pressed her hands against his chest, reaching as far as she could. A moment later, the cold ran up her arms and caught her breath, and beneath her hands, a heartbeat fluttered as Victor Vale opened his eyes and smiled. The family is back together, and that's all that really matters. When I say I cried... Maggie, do you remember exactly what I sent to you after I watched or after I read this? No, I don't. What did you send me? It's Mal all over again. Spoilers for Shadow and Bone. (laughs) (laughs) No, not necessarily, but yeah. But yeah. No, but yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I cried so hard. Mm -hmm. So hard. But that's how we end things. And despite the fact that this is a duology, I do feel like Vicious works really well as a standalone. And I appreciated this ending a lot. Not gonna lie, I almost don't want to read Vengeful. I think it is good that we will read Vengeful and talk about it. Yes. I'm a little dubious about it. Mm Mm-hmm. I've been, there are things that happen in Vengeful that I want to talk to Rachel about it. And I keep saying that I want to talk to her about them, but I haven't been very clear on what they are. And I think it's making her nervous. This is an accurate statement. (laughs) (laughs) We might talk about them in the next episode. We will probably definitely talk about them. Probably definitely talk about them in the next episode. Um, Is there anything else you want to say, Rachel? before we start wrapping things up because i think we're done i really need you to read frankenstein okay uh because this is so frankenstein ish and i can't Hmm. tell you about any of it because you won't get it because you haven't read frankenstein i'm sorry i'll tell you what After I finish Vengeful and after I catch up on our other books that we're doing for the podcast, I will get the audiobook of Frankenstein and I will listen to it. I will do that for you this year. Thank you. Because I love you. That could be a bonus episode. That could be a bonus episode. Stay tuned if we decide to do a bonus episode (laughs) about Frankenstein. Just because it relates to Vicious. Mm -hmm. His name is literally Victor. I did, <laughs> I did know that much. I did know that much. Yeah. So, Rachel, what do you think is... What, what are your expectations for Vengeful, real quick? I have no idea. I was pretty much going in blind when I started it, and I'm only, like, three chapters in, so I'm not very far. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen. Hmm. Like, I didn't even know we were going to get more information about Eli. I thought we were like done with Eli. Mm-hmm. And I am I'm intrigued by the fact that it is now five years later because that is literally like the intro yeah, of the yeah. story. Um, because that means that Sydney is now 18. So I'm interested in seeing more of her because she's going to have the most obvious changes from 13 to 18. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mitch and Victor are 
they're still adults like they're not changing yeah. all that much um I got you yeah I have no idea what's gonna happen and I don't like not knowing Ugh. well that just means you'll have to read the book and find out well I actually have to be completely it. honest um when I was doing a little bit of extra research to kind of refresh my memory for this episode there were some points about vengeful that I was finding and I was like did that really happen am I totally misremembering this or did I think that this happened and it actually didn't so I only remember very specific parts of vengeful um Mm. so I'm very interested to start reading it again and see how much I actually remember um because this was it's I've only read vengeful once and it was quite a quite some time ago so yeah so that'll be our next episode you can hear us talk about the sequel to vicious and see how we feel about it see how we feel when we get back to our favorite psychopaths morally corrupt psychopaths and all that good stuff but in the meantime i'm gonna wrap us up you can find us on twitter and instagram at book expert pod um, you can also email us and one of us or both of us will reply at not the book expert at gmail.com. Um, you know, we're on Spotify. I actually looked at our stats the other day. Most of y'all are listening on Spotify. So cool. Um, but we're also on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, whatever podcast app that you have lying around. Um, yeah. Anything else to add, Rachel? Look for our website coming out soon. Yes, if it's not out already, um, if it is out, I'll be sure to link it in the description. So yeah. yeah, thanks for listening and come back next next week for an episode on V.E. Schwab's Vengeful.